All This podcast is brought to you by All This International, supplying your expert AI and digital transformation staffing needs across the US and Europe. Today, you are listening to our AI in Action series, where leading minds in AI from across the world share their story, success, and advice. AI in Action cuts through the hype and explores the true impact of artificial intelligence in our world today. You're listening to AI in Action. I'm your host, JP Valentine. Our guest today is Paxton Mader-York. Paxton is the founder and CEO at A-Life Health. Paxton, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Yeah, we're delighted to have you. So, Paxton, we've a lot to talk about, but let's start with yourself. Could you give us a brief overview of your background and journey in technology from where you got started, some of the roles you've held along the way, and take us up to today as the founder and CEO at A-Life Health? Absolutely. So I'm originally from Cambridge, Massachusetts, grew up here, born and raised, spent most of my life always thinking and wanting to be an engineer and hopefully someday an entrepreneur. Around the time I was in middle school, I became really interested in robotics, did a lot of robotics camps around the MIT area, as well as started watching surgeries in high school. I actually worked in an orthopedic research lab for a summer in high school as well. And wasn't sure if I wanted to be a doctor or a medical technologist. And so when I went to college at Harvard, I started studying biomechanical engineering. Um, originally flirted with the idea of being pre-med, but very quickly decided that my calling in life was to help develop different types of medical devices and technologies and robotics. That experience and my education parlayed into my first job after school, which was at a company called Oris Health out in San Francisco. This was a surgical robotics startup founded by Fred Mall, who had founded Intuitive Surgical. He was kind of known as the godfather of surgical robotics, a really remarkable guy, and was just an intern and then an early engineer. And then I was able to be the first product manager at the company and did a lot of the help fundraising and product development. Bought by Johnson & Johnson for just shy of three and a half billion dollars. And I went back to grad school. And it was an incredible experience for me there. Uh, we were working on lung cancer systems. I had lost several grandparents to lung cancer. It was a very important mission to me. And, and so just had a, an incredible crash course and how to build companies in the medical technology space. When I went back to graduate school, I started an MBA at Harvard as well as a master's in data science and had spent a bunch of time really becoming passionate around opportunities for artificial intelligence to help in medicine. If we look back, the last 100 years of modern medicine has really been evidence-based development and progress, looking at what worked on 100, 200 patients and writing up a study and presenting it um, and doing innovation that way. And when I looked forward to the next 100 years, it becomes very clear that large-scale data-driven insights is really going to be at the core of how we progress our understanding of medicine across the board. I think we're seeing this across industries in the pharma industry and drug development, but also in, in clinical decision-making and the power uh, that we have when we can aggregate hundreds of thousands of historical patient cases and pull out correlations for them to deliver them back to the clinician and deliver, as we've talked about, personalized medicine or precision care is incredibly powerful. And we're answering foundational questions across medicine with this technique that really couldn't have been answered before. I ultimately ended up starting A-Life because my little brother is actually an IVF baby. I'm very passionate about the technology. It's a wild area of medicine. You don't often think about it, but if IVF wasn't 
a, a technology that that worked, many people wouldn't exist today, my little brother included. And that's a pretty remarkable thing to be able to say. And started the company for that reason. In addition to that, we're seeing people starting family later. Families later, we have the LGBTQ plus community that's rapidly growing and needing these services. And then we have this global rise in infertility rates. And we really don't know why, but we know that male genetic material has dropped in quality and quantity by 50% in 50 years, which is pretty shocking. And endometriosis, PCOS, and miscarriage rates are all growing a, a percent every year. So there's just this macro humanitarian challenge of how do we continue to be able to have children and ensure that future generations um, will continue to be born? And so what A-Life is really doing is we're building a modern operating system for the infertility sector, enhanced with artificial intelligence, trying to optimize treatment, improve care, improve efficacy, reduce costs, scale the industry because more and more patients are needing these services. And uh, I'm very fortunate to uh, be working with the amazing team I have, and it's been a fantastic ride to date. Thank you for that, Paxton. Great to learn about your journey and in particular, the inspiration and idea behind launching A-Life Health. You've touched on the field that you're looking to operate in. Tell us about the how and what you're doing and what role AI plays at A-Life Health. AI kind of has a variety of different interpretations. At its real core, it's computer-enhanced pattern recognition. And what we do at A-Life is we've amassed through partnerships a huge and critically very diverse data set representative of lots of different groups and people of different ancestries and conditions and things. And what it allows us to do is, is look at that huge data set of historical cases, pull out patients that are similar to a new patient, create recommendations around their treatment pathway, their dosing of medications, look at embryos and help assess which one has the highest viability for success, and really try to optimize the IVF process for every patient. When you think about IVF, in vitro fertilization, which has really only been around for about 40 years or so, it's really a fairly straightforward process. You first put the mother through a series of injections to get the eggs to be retrieved. Once you have the eggs, you combine them with the male genetic material to create embryos. And then those embryos grow. And once they've grown to a certain size, you select which one you want to put back into the person with the uterus. And, and then hopefully you end up with a baby nine months later. And so at every step along that journey, there's opportunities to optimize the treatment pathway, make recommendations to the clinician, and supercharge the clinician treatment decision with these data-driven insights. So when we think about an IVF clinic, there's really a few different main stakeholders. Obviously, the patient, first and foremost. There's the reproductive endocrinologist, which is the MD, the actual doctor, and they do the prescriptions and the dosing. They actually do the procedures of egg retrieval and transfer, embryo transfer. And then, but between all those steps, there's an embryology lab that is handling the genetic material, combining it, fertilizing it, letting it grow in petri dishes and in, in an incubator until it's ready to go back in, into the person with the uterus. And then you also have kind of clinic management and operations. And what A-Life does is we build a, an ecosystem of products across all of those stakeholders. We have a patient app that helps patients stay organized and understand their appointments and navigate the, the complex process. We have a medication optimization tool for the reproductive endocrinologist to help people get more eggs to be retrieved and use less hormones and save them costs of drugs. We have an embryology workflow system that helps them take images and save and structure data in the embryology lab, improve uh, their operations, and also gives them a viability assessment of those embryos so they can make better judgments about 
which embryo to transfer, and then also a, a clinic management suite that helps them maintain high quality, see if there's any issues across the various uh, components of what they're working with, and helping them kind of staff and make sure that they're delivering really optimized care. So we were really trying to bring the whole piece together. And at the backbone of all of that is advanced analytics and data science that's helping inform all these recommendations and intuitions across the processes. You are listening to the Aldis Podcast. When you're looking to scale your team, or if you are interested in showcasing your company in a future episode, reach out today. Or if you're in the market for a new role, visit our website to view open positions, www.aldis.com. Can you walk us through the journey over the past coming up on, on three years now from concept to early stage model building to where you are today and what the team looks like, how many people are involved and the various positions that you needed to bring in in order to get it to where you are right now? Whenever you start an AI company, there's a certain amount of data you need to get the engine moving. And the way we've designed our products is that we deliver clinical value with the AI that we have today based on the data set we've built, but the platform itself also structures data. And so as we get more utilization on the product, we'll have a larger data set and continue to reinforce and, and even improve the algorithms over time. But you have to have that core. And it took us a while really just hustling and trying to build relationships in this industry and build partnerships with the largest clinics across the United States. We are now building partnerships in the EU as well with our Swiss subsidiary based in Zurich. And so that was the first stage is building relationships, cutting data agreements with these huge clinics in the United States to accumulate this data set. The first few people I brought into the company and the founding team really was Kevin Loki, our head of data science. He had completed a PhD at Stanford in Ember Image Analysis in 2009. He'd been in the sector for many years um, and built several companies and uh, technologies within the fertility space. He's an incredible researcher, a very talented and humble guy. He leads our data science division. And then I brought over two rock stars from Oris Health, the surgical robotics company I had worked at before. Melissa Tron, who is our head of product and operations, she had been building all the UX and managing a 30 team over at Oris, doing kind of all the interfacing for the clinicians. And she's launched multiple surgical robotic platforms into the field across orthopedics and neurology and pulmonology and across all these different fields. So she's just an expert in complex medical device kind of development. And then Mark Lown, who's running a 70-person software org at Oris, where a lot of that $3.5 billion valuation came from. And he's just an incredibly talented software manager and developer and engineer. And so that was really the four of us to start. And as we continued to grow, uh, we pulled key people. We we started uh, the next layer down. We started with a, a senior software engineer, a senior data scientist, and a senior product manager. Three amazing people who we found. And started building out the first product, which is really around the embryo assessment piece. And then as what happens with any business, you start pulling on the thread of where there are opportunities and we continue to expand the purview of what we wanted to build and saw all these amazing ways that AI and data science could help improve care. And so continue to explore and develop new product lines. Today, we're about 25 people full-time We have a lot of people that also help us on a contract basis across marketing and our clinical affairs group and lawyers and regulatory experts and all sorts of stuff. But it's really, we try to keep it a very lean team and do a lot with what we have. And we certainly have a large scope. So that's where we are today. 
you've painted a really clear picture as, as to how you've got to this point. But when you start to look ahead, now that you've, you're seeing some opportunities for new product developments and the demand for the services, what are some of the things you're working towards over the next one to two years? Yeah, you know, when I think about the company itself, I think a lot about phases, right? The phase zero was let's get enough people in the building who can actually build some technology and let's get the data partnerships done so we can start developing our algorithms. Um, we finished that phase sometime in 2020, 2021, and then really came into the hardcore development phase where we filled out our, our clinical advisory board. We're working with 35 of the top experts and key thought leaders in, in the United States and internationally. They're it, it, deeply involved in our development process, testing our systems, working with them, providing feedback. And we've really done a nice job, I think, of designing something that is going to create real clinical value, but also be something that people actually want to use. And that's always a difficulty when you're developing a new medical device or medical technology. And I should be clear here, we don't build any hardware. This is all software, but it is software as a medical device. So I use that a little interchangeably. And then more recently, we're really finishing out this whole platform e ecosystem that we've built. We've built all the individual products and we're now tying it all together into a seamless experience and are doing our signing our first commercial agreements and contracts. And we did a 40 person pilot and we've got two clinical studies, clinical trials rolling. So we're in that phase. The next phase of the business is really going to be more about scaling and getting a lot of adoption on our platform, continuing to rev, of course, and develop new functionality and deepen within each of those four stakeholder solutions. There's a lot more we can build. There's a lot more we want to build. Ultimately, our goal is to help as many patients as we can. And so to do that, we have to get our product out there and install it in many of these clinics as we can, be compatible with all the EMRs. And that'll really be the next phase that we kick off at the beginning of 2023 here. And then there's a bunch of ancillary things that we want to do, and that'll really start kicking in 2024, where we start integrating additional technologies, maybe doing a little more M&A, thinking about integrating, more vertically integrating, or reaching more, more of the opportunities within the clinic to make a difference. So there's a whole expansionary strategy we, we keep close to our chest, but we have laid out for the next couple of years. Final question from me then, Paxton, with the scaling phase that you anticipate for early 2023, you're going to need to continue to build and grow your data and AI team. Obviously, the first few hires were strategic people within your network. But when you think of the broader audience listening today, a lot of people will be fascinated and interested in the mission at A-Life Health. When you're speaking to potential employees of A-Life, candidates who are interested in working with you, what message do you give to them about the work, the mission, and the, the overall environment that would make them want to join A-Life over some of the other great opportunities available to them? Yeah, I think you hit on a few of the really important ones there already, especially in this unfortunate time where we see reproductive rights being diminished and a lot of controversy across the United States. I can't tell you how rewarding it is to me and the rest of our team that we're focusing on building technology that's actually going to directly impact some of the ramifications of that. The impacts of Dobbs Jackson and Roe v. Wade being overturned on IVF is still yet to be seen, but we know for a fact that some states declaring that it's that an embryo is life con conception is that's going to have impact on the options that patients have. We know that surrogacy is going to be much more challenging if people can't abort for medical reasons. We know that if you do IUI and you end up with multiple pregnancies from that process, reducing the number of embryos for the sake of the mother's health is going to be limited in many states. So there's just a lot there. And what that's going to mean for the broader context is that um, 
people are going to have to travel a lot more for IVF. It's going to be more expensive. And the clinics that are doing these procedures in more progressive states in the U.S. are going to need more technical support to, to treat that overflowing demand. So that was a long-winded answer of the first piece, which I really think is about the mission of helping patients and doing something meaningful for both kind of fertility and also more broadly the future of humanity. I think the second thing is so important is the culture of our team. We're a young, fun, hungry group. Everyone's incredibly talented. And the model that I really try to instill is low stress, high output. Um, I really want our team to relish how lucky we are to be working on this. And I think we do. We have a lot of fun doing what we do and recognizing that everyone's so, so talented that we're able to put forth really exciting technology out into the field, but doing it in a way that is enjoyable and fulfilling is super important. And I think the last piece of that is is just we are a lean, mean, small startup, and we're very picky about who we let into the family. And because of that, we've been able to have a really fantastic group of people collaborating in a really low ego, high uh, humility squad out, out here working on the development process. And I think if, if potential candidates are looking at, at A-Life and think that some of those things sound exciting, we'd love to get to know them and meet them and uh, see if it's a, a fit in both directions. And thank you so much for today. We appreciate you coming on sharing the backstory behind A-Life Health. What an incredible mission. And we hope that people listening today can get fully behind its goal. And hopefully some future employees are listening and find this helpful. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for having me on. And if people are interested in more information, they can see us at alifehealth.com. Please follow us on Instagram. It's at alifeivf, all one. And we'll find us on LinkedIn and we're constantly publishing new blog information for education resources and our technology is coming hot off the press. Join our waitlist and we'd love to have you on board our story. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Aldis Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and any Android podcast of choice. You can also head over to our website, www.aldis.com to listen to more podcasts, view our open roles, and stay up to date with industry news. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more great episodes coming very soon.